Card presents Back Issue Bloodbath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. When they're 400 and they don't look a day over 219. Welcome to Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Petula Neal. And this is the 400th episode of Back Issue Bloodbath. For everybody who started listening to us all the way back in... 2015 congratulations you survived <laughs> here's to the next 400 that's you're gonna be with us to the long haul now we, we've become a habit become a habit you can't shake us you're just gonna keep listening and for those of you that are new well you gotta, you gotta start that habit man you gotta make that habit you gotta keep coming back every week we want to be your comic fix we want you to be jonesing for our hot takes but anyways, I'm just yes. trying to remember what I was doing in 2015. I don't, I don't know. Everything in the before time seems like so far. Well, our off. first episode dropped in September, so you were probably at TIFF. You're probably right. In your time, you've probably read some good comics, maybe even some mm-hmm. great comics, maybe even comics that you would say are your favorites. And that brings us to our episode topic for episode 400. We are each personally looking back at our top five favorite comic stories of all time we're not saying they're the best we're not saying that everybody should read them we're just saying there are personal favorites and so we decided to do a top five so we're going to count them down this is our top five favorite comics stories of all time so patula let me hear your number five i'm struggling with my ranking i'm gonna go with what i had at number five which is one i've talked about a few times uh, back in the day, when Silver Snail was still uh, by Queen and Peter here in Toronto or Toronto. I don't know why I said all the T's. Like, why am I pandering to maybe like the American that's listening? It's Toronto. Anyway, I didn't always put things in my box. But one of the last that I regularly put in my box was Crazy. Wolverine Origin. <laughs> <laughs> was Wolverine Origin. Let me take you back to this time. When you would go in on a Wednesday and then you see this like sepia poster nonsense with like a farmer looking kind of situation or just like a um, a muscly kind of striated hand with a little bit of bone claw just inching out. And you're like, no, they're not. They're not going to finally. They're not going to. This is another fake out. And we're going to get like a little flashback and it'll just be him, you know, getting experimented on or whatever. But no, they fully said we're gonna give you the whole og little james howlett how he had his first and definitely not his last possibly life-destroying introduction to a redhead family issues you realize he's gonna be cursed with bad daddies from beginning to end whether it's his bad daddy or somebody else's bad daddy and you get over this what is it is it a smooth six yeah smooth six issues of some of the most beautiful, it's, it's like a period piece. It is this period piece because you know Wolverine's old as hell. But just the art and the time they take, everything from the lettering, you feel like you're reading some real vintage-ish, but it's Wolverine. But make it like Sickly Child has his mutant activation, always some sort of horrible accident involving a loved one, the drama, the very sketchy help, and the son with anger issues so i don't want to spoil too much because it's if you haven't read this it's an easy read it's gorgeous and while you're reading let's be real this 
it's Marvel, it's Wolverine, it's populist trash. This is like, I mean, I felt fancy reading this. Like other people <laughs> be looking over my shoulder on the hell tube that is the Queen Street car and be like, what is that? That's beautiful. And I would just, my greasy palms, I destroyed these. I bought this, I think, three times. I bought individual issues. I have at least so one trade up here. I know I've got another one downstairs. Yeah. The individual issues. Yeah. That's when it was originally just called Origin. It wasn't until yeah. the trades that they put Wolverine's name on it. Yeah. Yeah, because they want to make that extra money, money. But yeah, it was just origin and it was gorgeous, gorgeous. And I would still recommend this to anyone who kind of wants to get an idea of the whole Gur arg of it all and like what his problem is. Because really, all of his base issues, pun intended, are kind of like it's baked in, whether he can remember it or not in this little series. Yeah, Andy Kubert on the art there. And uh, oh, Joe, yeah. yeah, Joe Quesada did all the covers that caught your eye. And uh, I think it was written by Paul Jenkins, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Bill Jemis? Jemis? I don't know. Bill Jemis came up with the initial idea, but if they had a gun, I think we, we talked about this in our episode on Origin. If they had a gun with Bill Jemis' idea, it would have taken place in modern times and Wolverine would have came from Texas. So it's a good thing that Paul Jenkins stepped in and uh, got things back on track. Wow. Is that how the actual physical recoil I had? I'm like, is that how some people felt about a Black Mermaid? The idea of taking our Canadian Wolverine and making him Texan? (laughs) I'm not saying it's okay, but for a second, I understood you people. All I know is that Bill Jemez, you know, regardless of where he's supposed to be from, Canada, he's Canadian, he's from Canada. The fact that he wanted to put it in modern times shows that he knew nothing of Wolverine. A guy who's supposed to have lived hundreds of years. (laughs) So... Well, but anyways, yeah, Origin turned out to be uh, uh, quite the classic. And uh, yeah, I, that's a great pick number five there. It's fantastic. My pick number five goes back a little bit later than that, the mid-2000s. And that is Scott Pilgrim from Oni Press. When that was coming out, I remember when it started coming out, I was in my mid-20s. And this character was kind of entering his mid-20s. And what, what really attracted me to it was that Brian Lee O'Malley really captured the fact that when you're in your 20s, everything feels like life or death, even though it could be the most mundane shit. And so the idea of turning life into a video game and having Scott's love life of trying to win the heart of Ramona Flowers and defeat her seven evil exes, this was fun cannon fodder. And probably by the third book, I think it was really cooking the third and fourth books when we really got to sit with the characters. It was almost in books... By book four, the exes kind of took a back seat to it. We were now really enjoying just hanging with this group of 20-somethings as they, you know, have their dirtbag band and play at little shitty clubs in Toronto. And they were mostly clubs that I had been to. I had been to Sneaky D's and stuff like that. So it's like I still honestly top, uh, if we're going to do a top five, top five nachos. But yeah, the book, the book to me has always been fun. The movie captures about i'd say maybe about 70 percent of what the the comic feels like but then again the comic of course has years to breathe within its storytelling i think it takes place over a year and a half in the comics and each book came out a year apart so we got to live with scott program a lot longer than fans of just the movie did so yeah i definitely say check out the scott pilgrim series from oni press if you haven't already, if you didn't like love the movie, you might still really enjoy the comic. And if you love the movie, well, then you definitely love the comic. Definitely. 
So there we I go. Love, I love the CanCon in our, our first couple of choices. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, we pick Canadians. Yeah. Like, listener, we did not plan this. We did not talk about this. But, you know, we're just covered in maple syrup and good times over here. There you go. So oh, yeah. moving on to our number four, maybe this will become more international for us. Who knows? It, it is a little more for me. It's one that I think we've talked about before. And this is like an award-winning one. It's 100 bullets for me. Mm. But specifically, because it's 100 issues. It's a lot. Yeah. And I'm not going to say read all, all of it, but I'm definitely going to say one of the earliest characters we meet, Dizzy, is one of my favorites. Her whole storyline. It feels like it feels like reparations a little bit because you have this young woman who's sort of fallen on the bad side of the prison industrial complex, but then gets the means to not only get her revenge, but to get what people on the other side of the prison industrial complex have, which is a license to kill and get away with it. In the form of a suitcase and a visit from a strange man. And over the hundred issues, like they weave in many other stories, but of all of the people that you meet, um, Dizzy's story is the one that I feel like it's the easiest to kind of get into. She's one of the most kind of visually interesting characters. It's written by Brian Azzarello, illustrated by Eduardo Rizzo, like the style. It's giving noir, but urban. And it's one of these books that Sometimes I just like to look at the covers. And when I think of some of sort of the new neo-noir kind of stuff that we like, like Newburn and other things, or like even the Righteous uh, Thirst for Vengeance that came out last year, some part of this reminds me of the way I felt when I first started picking up 100 Bullets. And also because it's, it's thick. Like it goes on forever. Well, a hundred, but it feels like forever, especially when you kind of get to that back there. And, and also it took a long time for everything to come out too. It wasn't like yeah. it came out every month. Yeah. Yeah. You do feel a bit like you're getting your emotional investments worth because it is going to go on a long time. There's so often, and we've talked about this before, sort of stories that get cut short for whatever reason, whether it's creator issues or company issues. But this it's it's a smooth hundred. I'd highly recommend it. It won like awards and stuff. Like this isn't a real outside baseball pick, but it's a little older, so some of you children might not have read this. We did an episode on uh, that story, um, probably about a year ago, I think, year year and a half ago. So... But he times a flat circle now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> My number four, because you know you mentioned there that it was like hundred issues. They made it to the end. My one at number four is actually a series that still doesn't have an ending, but it's been years since the last issue came out. But it's so good that even with it only being 50 issues with apparently another 50 that are supposed to come, it still captivated me that it had to be on this list. And that is uh, Morning Glories, written by Nick Spencer, with artwork by Joe Eisman and covers by Rudy Esqueo. It's It takes place in Morning Glory Academy, a prestigious, very selective preparatory school where the students that are picked are not picked necessarily because of their great artistic merits, but because there's something special about them that they don't even know yet. And that something special about them is what Morning Glory Academy wants to have control over because they are in a clandestine fight with other people to control the world. And we follow six Brilliant students that all kind of have some trouble in their past and they're brought in as their first day at the school and 
slowly but surely they find out that shit is happening behind the scenes and they have to decide whether or not they want to work together to get out of the system or work within the system to gain power or to just go for a power play for themselves. At the time, everybody was saying it's lost meets runaways. And I was like, you know, it's neither of those things, but that's cool. (laughs) it's It's an amazing book that I say there's 50 issues. It is one of those situations where you got to read all 50 to really 100% grasp what's going on because there are things that happen maybe in issue one that don't come up again until issue 23. Or there might be a surprised guest appearance by a character in issue 35 that they made the same kind of appearance in issue eight because this also plays with time and space and all these, as I mentioned, these people have something special about them that could be powers, could not. And yeah, it's uh, got political intrigue. It is definitely one of the best reads I ever had where half the time I'm going, what the fuck is happening? Oh, I do like that. Yeah. So definitely Morning Glories, issues one to 50, you should definitely check out. That's my number four. So I'm going to move right. on to number three. Number three. And this is where I think I'd really be showing my age. This is a literal comic strip, uh, but more of y'all may know it from... Uh, incredibly profane YouTube clips from the the television animated cartoon that was adapted much later, Boondocks, which it was like a syndicated comic strip. This was something else. Like the kind of formatting, it was very visually reminiscent of Calvin and Hobbes, but it's the story of Huey and Riley Freeman that move from South Side of Chicago to uh, a very 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 pale suburb outside of the city with their granddad who's their guardian and these two children one who's sort of more let's say embracing the stereotype of kind of rap thug life and one who's more of the i guess now someone would call him like a woke sjw antifa type but they're literal children Mm -hmm. and you see them interact with their new environment in different ways in the first collection that's called uh, because I know you don't read the newspaper, you get to see. Some you got to stop making assumptions about our listeners. It's like all of our listeners are young; they don't know what a newspaper is. But that's what it's called. They meet uh, their neighbors across the street. So there's a lawyer named uh, Tom, um, a black man who's married to a white woman, and they name him Tom on purpose. Yeah. And their daughter Jasmine, who is very confused as to how uh, Huey can immediately tell that she's well, he calls her black and. She's still deciding what she wants to identify as. And uh, she meets a, a little white girl in the neighborhood who initially starts talking about, hey, did you hear some black people moved in, in the neighborhood? And doesn't know initially that Jasmine is mixed, but she just thought, I just thought you were having a really bad hair day. She has sort of like, <laughs> has this very like kind of Pikachu ponytail thing happening because her mother doesn't know how to deal with her hair. But it's these two children sort of interacting with their neighborhood, Riley doing sort of crime and or not real crime, but like kind of just intimidating the neighbors, Huey trying to be an activist. And as they meet the other characters, one recurring character that uh, they meet star Wars guy who he meets him in the lineup for the movie. He lined up at a theater for a year that closed right before (laughs) the, the first prequel came out. Yeah. And then star Wars guy, you also have like these other B and C plots that run throughout the strip. Uh, Star Wars guy kind of coming to terms with the fact that maybe not everything Star Wars is perfect. I will say if you pick this up, maybe just go 
to balance your karma, give um, Ahmed Best a like or a positive comment somewhere on social media because they do go pretty hard in the paint on Jar Jar. But not just on Jar Jar, on everything. Like from the beginning, he was like these sort of Asian coded accents, this, that, like it's sort of every four pages in the collection, you'll just have like a whole, like it goes deeper. <laughs> like how much the prequel to like, I'm going to rant some more. Yeah. yeah like, like Air Magruder, like really, really. And, and for the art for those, it's like, I'm not photorealistic, but it's like super detailed. Like it's a perfect, like artist, like comic strip kind of black and white rendition of Jar Jar. But then it goes back to the very like Calvin Hobbes type style that you've seen even in the animated show of the children of the boondocks. And it's, honestly great and i think i discovered it through okay player before it became like kind of a more businessy hip-hop website when it was still very much like Questlove rating albums based on afro pics mm. and they were just kind of becoming like before they became this kind of global concern with associated sites that are kind of tastemakers and hip-hop but back then it was just kind of hey this is cool we like this this kind of like talks about the culture so and that's really how it should be. That's when yeah. you get the good shit is when you're not trying to be the tastemaker, when you're just being honest about what you think is good. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But these, I have every collection. I've lent them to people and they've returned them. So it's one of those things of like, you know, somebody appreciates something. Somebody was going through like a bit of a rough time and I let them like all my boondocks and then I didn't see them for a couple of years. And then when we met up and got the back, she's like, these just made me laugh sometimes when I was sad. Mm. So yeah, it's just, it's really good stuff. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah, I have a few friends that really, really love the Boondocks. My pick is actually, I think, something you'll really appreciate because uh, it's our boy Darwin. And not only is it our boy Darwin, it's from the Parker series. The third book, Richard Starks Parker, The Score. Now, for those of you who don't know, Parker, of course, was a criminal under like a noir type storytelling written by Richard Stark, which was a pen name of Donald Westlake, and followed a criminal who would do heists. And he was kind of like a, a mountain of a man. He was hard-nosed, and he had no morals. Like, it was, it was about getting the money. But, you know, of course, there were certain times when doing the right thing aligned with what he wanted to do. Sometimes it didn't. So when you read those books, it was like, ooh, He's kind of a dangerous character. And Darwin Cook adapting the books did a really good job of presenting that within the comic. This particular one is my favorite, though, because Darwin really gets to play because it involves a crew. He has to assemble a really big crew to rob a town, this small town of all of its money. And because it's a big cast of characters for this crew, Darwin decided to make them all look like comic creators who are friends of his. So there's one in there. You can find Jimmy Palmiotti in there. Jim Steranko is in there and everything. And it's this amazing story. But then you also find out that the guy that brought the job to him also has a hidden agenda about that town as well. The original book is considered probably the best Parker novel. And I think this is the best graphic novel adaptation in the four that Mr. Darwin Cook did for IDW. And uh, if you're into crime noir, if you're into just really good sequential storytelling, if you're into capers, if you're into heist stories, this is like the quintessential heist story that, uh, of course, the best heist stories are the ones that go a little awry. This one definitely has that, so definitely check it out. Now we're getting down to the brass tags here. We're getting to our number two. Tula, what do you got for number two? Okay, Runaways. Okay. I had to. But specifically, like, 
the first chunk like so let's like the say first the 12 first, issues it's maybe 18 it's 18 yeah yeah the first 18 this is like some brian Kavon ish and y'all know he's a real one great at starting stories great at world building great at pilots if you're thinking if there's a corollary in the tv world like a david nutter equivalent like bring this person in and set your story up but he stayed with it a little longer than i was even expecting i thought oh it's just gonna be you know a few with him and then he'll drop it off and there were some other writers later on we don't need to talk about that but the beginning which was a great premise is let's have a bunch of kids who used to be close when they were little and we've all had those friendships of like people who you almost considered like play cousins that you know whether it was like new year's or other holidays like your parents would go with their parents and you'd all hang out at you know whoever had maybe the house with the most room where you could run around and make noise and you didn't really know how your parents knew each other you didn't know like what they did for work like probably you know they're having key parties in the basement but you and those children were like having the best time of your life whenever you'd hang out and then as you hit the tween years and things change and whether the families are less close or proximity or different interests you're not as close to those kids anymore this is a story of a group of kids like that but there's an event that brings them back together they realize like so many of us occasionally do maybe your parents aren't exactly who you thought they were and they have to run away and the story of how these kids some of them have uh, power some of them have access to some pretty advanced tech one has a dinosaur yeah dinosaur named old lace <laughs> just just still so great gert here real one i can't even but i can't talk about gert i'll get emotional point is i i truly love these children and i'm like a real michael jordan f them kids meme like in real life but this run was the business and what i love is that they're almost in a similar kind of level of insinuations as like a deadpool or whatever clowning on the main mcu they have little bitty interactions with like you know cloak and dagger here you know some old avengers some young avengers but they're just constantly like is that what your name is is that what your look is is that what your move is like it's just <laughs> <laughs> like cloak is coming in hot with the like my magical dimensional cloak you'll never be able to and literal like the baby of the crew molly just takes it off like she's a doorman it's like what this it's just there's so many like great little moments of them having occasional interactions when things are popping off in la the adventures always end up leaving them to their own devices and these kids just have kind of have to figure it out they have a series of like cooler and cooler hideouts uh they eventually meet a couple new people that are integrated into their crew including uh shapeshifter Cree scroll a uh, scroll yeah Davin, who ends up partnering up with one of them and we get a little robot boy victor la mancha some ultron energy but the core group and their relationships is really what brings you in it's the best stuff and there are a series of schisms but then also just hormonal teenage relationships and then also the kind of like young kids being forced to be kind of parents to other younger kids energy like if you like party of five and like marvel movies you may also like this and the art is great the whole run is just amazing but really the first 18 is where you just think gosh like marvel can occasionally do like good stuff like and not just 
using the old characters, but using characters you've never met before. You mean like creating new stories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. yeah. So Brian Kavon uh, was writer at the beginning. Art, Adrian Alfona. One of the first covers was Joe Chen. And oh, yeah, Nico Menor's look. Oh, my God. It looks cool. It's fun. These kids are interesting. Yeah. They are often taking the piss out of sort of the main Marvel universe. But they're having like real problems. Like we're hungry. We need a place to hide. Our parents are not good people. But we also know that because they have connections to police and government, we can't like just go into foster care. So yeah. we got to be like out in these streets figuring it out. You mentioned the, the whole the whole team element of that. I will say Marvel does team books really well. And Marvel also does big epic stories really well. And for me, when it comes to big epic stories, my number two is probably one of the greatest epic stories in a comic series of all time. And that is the Dark Phoenix Saga in X-Men. It's the first time that Chris Claremont, well, actually, it's the second time that Chris Claremont's uh, X-Men, Chris Claremont and John Byrne, told a story that didn't wrap up in two or three issues. Like a couple of years before that, he did the Phoenix Saga, which again, took about 10 or 12 issues to wrap up. This one took about nine and had to deal with the fact that Jean Grey, who had the Phoenix Force within her, becomes consumed by it and can't control it. And the idea of absolute power corrupts absolutely is played with here. And kind of the decision of judgment on who gets to judge someone for what they're able to do and how they're feeling is played with here. And also you get the introduction of the Hellfire Club and you get probably the greatest X-Men team of all time with Jean Grey, Cyclops, Storm, Colossus, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, Banshee, all of them together. It takes the, the, the characters all over the world. They go up on the moon at one point. There's a lot of stuff that happens and pretty much everything you love about X-Men is in this story. If you're a big fan of the Jim Lee X-Men stuff or the animated series from the 90s, those two things wouldn't happen without the Dark Phoenix Saga. Of course, you know, the Claremont and Byrne working together their entire run is very important to the X-Men universe, but the Dark Phoenix Saga is like the crown jewel. It is the big moment in Marvel history, one of the big moments in Marvel history, that kind of continually gets revisited, not because they're running out of ideas. It's just there was so much introduced in that one story that they're still finding new wrinkles to this day to play with. If you're a fan of the X-Men, this is the X-Men story, in my opinion. And the classic looks. Like, we know I love an outfit tangent, but yeah. if you're going to cosplay any version, if you and your squad are going to go do like a group outing this Halloween... This is the version of them to dress up as. Oh, definitely the best jean outfits. Yeah, the the Phoenix and Dark Phoenix looks are much better than some of the outfits that Jean would have after that. Like that weird yellow thing she wore throughout the 90s. That's, uh, you know. So now we come to the main event. The main event. Number one. Your favorite comic book story. And I, was, I don't know about you, Petula, but I thought long and hard about what my number one would be. I struggled initially. I went into the spreadsheets. I even went to the other shelves and Heidi places within the house. I went into my different purchasing histories mm -hmm. of digital things. And then I literally just looked up because this book, the collection, is on the shelf above me here. 
It's rising stars, y'all. Like, I don't know why it took me that long to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> talk about it all the time. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's again, it's another one where they let a creator cook and like start and finish the story. Our homie J. Michael Straczynski just doing what he does best, building the F out of worlds. And it's a 24 issue series. And it's about a bunch of powered people that are created after an event. And it has all of the tropes of those different kinds of takes on that. But somehow it's fresh. It's interesting. There's twists throughout. And again, you sort of get to see the relationships of these 113 specials when they're young. And they're sort of in a weird kind of like government camp where they're monitored. And then as they grow up, who they become, you have like your main kind of Superman type guy, Bright, who's like a literal cop who becomes an op. You have your narrator, poet. You have one of the most interesting characters that I think definitely they would do a lot of fixes on now is Sanctuary. Joshua Kane. he's a, a televangelist, clearly trans, but like the language and the pronouns that they use in the story. Well, he also has a very religious father who takes advantage of the fact that his powers are all like kind of glowy and floaty. Mm. So he gets used for a super church, but really he just wants to wear nice dresses and glow. But that character, especially once they have reached adulthood, seeing them interact again, the interpersonal stuff is as interesting as the kind of powered element of it. And then when you get into um, some of them turning on each other and other kind of forces behind the scenes, trying to manipulate different factions in different ways, it's rich. It's beautiful. There's so many artists on this. I I can't even like there's a lot. There's a lot of people. This is another one that I would say don't rush through, like find a physical somewhere. I had the trades, but then also bought like the hardcover collection and like her spine is cracked. Mm. Like she has been in the streets having a good time. Like this is a loose spine on this collection. Right, right, right. Like, like yeah. there's no glue there anymore. Man. Oh, got that good glue smell. But like, look at this loose stitching. I have read this back and front and front and back. <laughs> it's a great story. And it's the kind of thing that I used to hope would get adapted, but now I don't want it to. I just want it to live where it does. <sighs> Eventually, somebody with more money than sense will get the rights and try to do something with this i hope not but they might but it's just not i feel like that one the the statute of limitations on that one is kind of it being in the entertainment eye is kind of passed back in the early 2000s there was talk of making it either a television series or a movie and they never came to fruition so i think you're safe on that one i think yeah I, i think it'll remain what it is it's uh but yeah no uh my pick for number one. You've probably been sitting here. I know you, Petula, have probably been sitting here. I know that you listening have probably been sitting here going, he hasn't mentioned Daredevil yet. Is he okay? <laughs> Is he okay? Is Andrew all right? Don't worry, everyone. I was saving it for number one. My pick for the number one story, my favorite story, is Daredevil Born Again. Something I've talked about previously on the show and probably when the show drops although it will be very different from this comic, we will probably talk about it again. If I outlive you, I'll drop a copy of this on your coffin. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. As I mentioned, Dark Phoenix Saga is the quintessential X-Men story. Born Again is the quintessential Daredevil story. Written by Frank Miller back when he kept all of his stupid opinions to himself and just wrote good comics. And thick thighs. (laughs) (laughs) And drawn by... A guy that we talked about recently on the show, David Mazzuccelli, 
who of course would go on to do Batman Year One and uh, do the City of Glass adaptation that we talked about with Michael Walsh. It's the story of three people. Someone who has absolutely nothing anymore, has lost everything, but has one piece of information that is special. Another person who has everything, has everything in the world except that one piece of information. And a third who has it pretty good, but then by the end of it has almost nothing. So those three people are Karen Page, the Kingpin, and Matt Murdock, Daredevil. Karen Page has the secret of Daredevil's identity. And she's gone through hell. She's not, she's not living her best life. She's become a drug addict. She's been treated like crap. She's down in the dubs. She needs one more fix. And she sells that piece of information to the person who can get it to the person who can get it to the person who can get it to the kingpin for that one hit. And the kingpin finally has what he always wanted, the identity of Daredevil. And you think, oh, is he going to kill him? No. No, he's not going to kill him. He's going to destroy Matt Murdock's life, issue by issue. And so the story becomes about how low can Daredevil get and will he lose it? Will he go to the dark side? Will he do that? And there are moments in the story where he does and there are moments when he finds a way to redeem himself. And at the same time, Karen Page, who after you know coming down from the high for that one hit, realizes I've just done the worst thing in my life. I've betrayed the only person that I truly care about. And so it's her travel to get back to the States to make amends to this person. And when they finally reconnect, you know, it's like, you know how you have, sometimes you do something really bad to somebody you really care about and you want to make amends, but that person is just, just happy that you're there. And they're like, I forgive you of all that stuff. I just need you here with me now. It's amazing because, like, you know, in the comics, again, we've talked about Fuckboy Matt. He's, he's, uh, he's had quite a few partners, but the women he loves, that's when you get the most interesting stories. And Karen Page is one of those women. And the two of them are just broken people trying to find hope. And in the end of the story, not only do Karen and Matt find hope, but Daredevil finds hope in a system that has betrayed him. And the, probably the best line... See if I can find it. The best line. It's, I don't think I can find it. While you're looking for that, you just reminded me again why Kingpin is just like the best at being the worst because he really goes after some of our favorite orphans. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so he realizes after he thinks he's killed, like he's basically, he's ruined Matt Murdock's life. And then the next step is, okay, now that I've ruined your life, I'm going to kill you. And when he thinks that he's killed him, but then they can't find a corpse. He's sitting there and he's thinking and he's like, okay, he's alive. He is much more than I expected. He always was. And I have to show him that a man without hope is a man without fear. And so can a broken man defeat, you know, his oppressor? Can the oppressor take the last shred of hope and prove that that isn't even going to help you in this situation? It is the, like, they're the ultimate cat and mouse, Kingpin and Daredevil. And... This is, yeah, one of my favorite stories of all time. Plus, also, it's the book that introduces uh, Daredevil's mother to the story, which has always been a fun little wrinkle and character to the the piece. And, um, yeah, maybe you want to read it before the TV show drops, although I think it's going to be very different. If you were a fan of the third season of the Daredevil Netflix series, this is definitely something to read. You'll feel a lot of sameness to that. Hey, if you were a fan of the, the shitty 2003 Daredevil, they try to take from this as well. So I would say, yeah, Daredevil Born Again, my favorite comic story of all time. 
Big wow. surprise. Big surprise. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's funny. I, it didn't occur to me. I was like, of course, of course it makes total sense. And like, I've talked about rising stars so many times. I'm sure you were like, oh, okay. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 But it didn't like when we were initially sort of texting about this, I'm like, I, I have no idea what I'm going to put on my list. And then once I assembled and there were a couple things that, you know, almost made the cut, but yeah, the number one seemed inevitable once mm. I'd assembled the list. Yeah, exactly. For me too. And uh, for DC fans out there, we like DC stories that just don't make our top five. Sorry. That's just... and, and, and we had, people who worked on DC stuff on our list. Yeah. Both of us. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it just didn't pan out. I did. Okay. Not any of Stephanie's newbie stuff, but living heroes was definitely in the sort of like the top 10 list, even though it's like the, I picked all these like hundred series things. Yeah, And you pick like the shortest thing. That one, <laughs> I, I would say that's a smooth six. Like that was right there because that is something I've bought multiple times, like ordered the physicals to just give to other people because it's such a great, perfect, little story my sixth one would probably be the the hawkeye series mm, mm. yeah definitely but anyways there you go we've given you a, a number of great stories that we think you should check out there are personal favorites you don't have to check them out if you don't want to but if you do yeah they have our seal of approval right there for what it's worth i thank you so much people for listening to our 400th episode it's been fun and we're gonna kind of we're gonna keep going as long as we can hopefully another 400 who knows i know that probably just scared patula right there <laughs> Wow. I went full anime eyes. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, while you're getting over the shock there, Petula, um, why don't you tell the good folks where they can find you? At inashift.com on Twitter, Hive, Spoutable, Instagram, TikTok, at Obesacantawit, O-B-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-I-T. I don't know. I think I said too many letters that time. And no, here with you. you. I think you got yeah. it all. There you go. Yeah. Of course, you can find everything I do over at geekcardshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at geekcard. Follow this very show on Facebook at Back Issue Bloodbath, where we put the new episode every week. Of course, also, you can follow me on Instagram at Andrew underscore of underscore underscore geek underscore hard. And of course, the main channel at Geekcard Show. Of course, if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice and uh, tell your friends about it. And, Get them to tell their friends and so on and so on. Here's the thing, y'all. We've been outside again now for a little while, like a year or so. If you're in Florida, you never left the outside. Yeah. We all realize people aren't what they're cracked up to be. Stay inside. Read comic books nest. Read another comic. Yeah. There you go. It's that simple. Yeah. This has been Back Issue Bloodbath. I've been Andrew Young. I've been Petula Neal. Have yourself a good...